Alright guys, so good morning. Glad to have y'all here today. We're going to go ahead and get started. I got a couple of just a little, very brief announcements before we get going. Um, if you were here last month, we, were, we started doing a fundraiser for the North Georgia Pregnancy Center. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with that organization, they're a pro-life organization. They help out young mothers and families, um, of course, with pregnancies, with you know uh, different appointments and stuff like that. And it's a, just a great program. If you feel led to give, I'll have the jar over here. None of the money in which is donated goes to this company or goes to me or anything like that. Every dime is going to be going to the North Georgia Pregnancy Center. So if you feel led to give, you're more than welcome to, and it would be greatly appreciated. Before we get into the actual message today, I wanted to ask, is there any prayer requests today? Anything that we'd like to pray over? There's a lot of sickness going around. Yeah. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of sickness going on. Yeah. Yeah, be praying for that, of course. Any other prayer requests? Okay. I know there's a lot of unspoken. I think all of us at all times have unspoken prayer requests. But if that's all the requests we have today, we'll go ahead and we'll bow our heads and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and I just want to say thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for allowing us to meet together. Lord, I know that your word says where two or more are gathered, there you will also be. And Lord, I'm taking that to heart and just help us all to, to uh, remember you as we go throughout today and go throughout this week. Help us to give you honor and glory in everything that we do in our lives. Through the struggles, through the pain, through the good times and the bad, through the love, through the hurt. Lord, please, with Mr. Scott and his job search and everything that is entailed in that, Lord, just guide him and, and to help him provide for his family. Lord, we just uh, we thank you for Scott and thank you for his love and kindness. I just ask that you encourage him in this time. Father, also just be with anyone here that's sick and those that are dealing with sickness. Please be with family members. Please be with those that are having struggles outside of, of the prayer requests that are just unspoken because I know we all have issues. And Lord, I just ask that you just your hand will be upon everyone here and that you would help us to be a blessing to others as we go throughout your world. I thank you for today. And I just ask that, uh, uh, that this message be glorifying to you and help it to be edifying. Lord, we thank you for today, and I just thank you for everyone that's here. Please bless them and keep them safe as we go throughout the rest of this week. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about prayer. And we'll be going to a couple different verses today. And since we have kind of a, a smaller crowd, I always like to incorporate maybe some people in the crowd saying some of the verses. I think that is very neat. makes it more intimate in my mind. <clears throat> but we'll get to there. But this morning we're going to be in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start there in Matthew uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> be at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be at starting at verse 5. It should be a 
passage that's very familiar to us. We should have heard about this growing up. You probably heard about it even when I wasn't a Christian. Of course, I've heard about this prayer. This is sometimes called the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. This is a very important part of the scriptures. But I'm honored to be here today. And, you know, it's it's interesting. A lot of you, I interact with you, you know, throughout the job working here. And it's such a privilege and it's such a strange thing to be able to actually preach in front of you. It's a, it's a privilege, but it's also it's, it's interesting because, you know, throughout the week, I tend to see you on a regular basis or work with you. And it's I just appreciate you being here for that. But I'm honored to be here. I'm thankful for Ark of Hope and, and everything they do. And they're coming out and supporting uh, from the Myerskoffs to Buddy and Katie. Y'all are awesome people. And it's just, it's fantastic to very generous people and very, very grateful to have you here. But I'll tell you, I, I feel sometimes like a man who has uh, been sent to deliver a death message. And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. There's a, I'll tell you a story. There was a man named Mr. Smith and Mr. Smith, uh, and this is not talking about you, buddy, by the way. This is totally unrelated. But there was a man named Mr. Smith, and he was unfortunately killed in an automobile accident. The witness knew the wife and that she was of the nervous heart. She was very frail in spirit. And whoever was to carry out the message of delivering this unfortunate news had to be very tactful in their approach. Sometimes I feel like that man because I'm not very good at delivering <laughs> the message. Whoever was to do this had to be diplomatically inclined and tactful as it wouldn't unduly upset the woman. Now, of course, it's going to upset her, but there's, there's a difference between walking up and saying, hey, your husband's dead, and there's a difference in someone who actually is kind and sits down and takes a moment of their time with you. But they chose this man who was a friend and a witness to the, what happened and told him what they wanted him to do. They gave him the whole speech and said, we want you to go. They gave him the address and he went to the address and he rang the doorbell and she opened the door and he said, are you Widow Smith? <laughs> she said, my name is Smith, but I'm no widow. And he said, that's what you think. That's not the kind of person you want to send to deliver that message. But, and forgive me, I know it's a bit morbid, but sometimes that's how I feel when I'm asked to deliver the message of God. It's, I'm not the most qualified man to do it, but I'm honored to be able to do it. And I always think, when I think of that story, whoever thought that I could do justice to an occasion like this, I say, that's what you think. But today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, in our Lord's, Lord's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. <clears throat> this is the words of Christ. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, 
Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I'd just like to finish it here. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we're going to come back to this. This verse has helped a lot of Christians through their walk with God. It's been a model prayer. It's something to fall back on. It's something to remind us that we don't have to make these long and lofty speeches when we speak to Christ to speak to our Lord. It can be as simple as, Lord, please guide me through the day. Help me to forgive my enemies. Help me to be forgiven. It's something that on the surface, it seems complex, but he makes it sound so simple. Compl complex things are happening, but through simplicity. He's asking to be forgiven of debts as we forgive our debtors, and that we don't be led into temptation. He covers so many bases in just one model prayer. And I think that's something that all of us can take to heart and go throughout our lives holding on to. Now, a sermon in my opinion, should do four things for you. The first thing I think it should do for you is stretch your mind. A sermon should stretch your mind. It should inform you and instruct you. The second thing I think a sermon should do is it should tan your hide, meaning it should correct you when you are in error. A preacher should ruffle some feathers from time to time. I think that should be the job of a preacher, is not to be afraid to stand on orthodoxy, to stand on what Christ has said, because we live in a world that is counterculture, and, excuse me, we live in a world that is pro-culture, and we are the counterculture, if you will. The world will say this, they'll say to go left, and I say to go right, but nobody wants to go right. They want to go this way and that way, but the job of the preacher is to say no, God has instructed us to do this, and we are to do that. So it should stretch your mind, should inform you and instruct you, it should tan your hide, I mean, it should correct you. Now, it doesn't mean I should beat you down or that any preacher should beat you down. You shouldn't walk away from a sermon feeling like the size of a, a peanut. You should walk away feeling inspired, of course, but you should also walk away going, you know what, I've looked at the, the Lord's Word, study it for yourself. If I'm in error, Lord, help correct me. Christ is ultimately the one that is correcting our hearts and inspiring us and leading us on. The preacher's job is just to deliver the message. It should tan your hide. A preacher should ruffle some feathers. <clears throat> I believe some of the best actors that we see in our culture unfortunately stand behind a pulpit. I think it's unfortunate, but it's very often true. These are men and women that are trained to be very good uh, speakers, 
They are trained to be very good at their job of, of speaking, but oftentimes the message falls flat. The message will actually sound more worldly than it will uh, biblically if you were to study it word for word. But I think it's unfortunate that so many preachers tend to be really good actors. They tend to put on a fake look for Sunday. And I heard a story once of, of a, a group of preachers. They were on sabbatical together. They were friends uh, and colleagues, and they all took sabbatical at a similar time, and they're out at the golf course. And one of the preachers, he was talking to one of his other fellow colleague, if you will, about the gospel, talking about the Bible and just exegetical things. And, and the preacher's talking. They're having a good conversation. One of the other preachers came up behind him and said, Guys, that's shop talk. Out here we're playing golf. That's the wrong attitude. We should never look, especially someone in my position, a young preacher, I should never look at this gospel and say, You know what, this is just my job. No. This is a calling. This is a purposeful calling. This is something that's beautiful and right. And as Christians, this isn't just the job of the preacher. We should never look at our Lord's gospel and be ashamed. We should never look at his word and say, you know what? That's just shop talk. I got to be uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it. No, I can't think of a more meaningful conversation. When I think back at my life since becoming a Christian, some of the most meaningful conversations I've ever had with folks is about the deep things of Scripture. Now, whether we walk away agreeing or disagreeing, or we walk away with a great conclusion, or we walk away searching for more answers, I still get a lot out of that because I'm constantly learning, as we all are. It's intimidating. Most of you in this room, you're much older than me, and I don't mean that in any offensive way. You're older than me. You're older than me in the spirit, I should say. You've been Christians longer than me. It's intimidating to speak to people that know the Bible, that have been brought up in church, Sometimes I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because many of you have been brought up in church. Some of you haven't. But to me, it's, it's sometimes intimidating. I'm saying, you know, am I preaching to the choir on this? Perhaps sometimes. But we should never be ashamed of simple messages. We should never be ashamed of the fundamentals. We should never be ashamed of what our Lord has to say. Just as I shouldn't be looked down on, my, down on in my youth, so you shouldn't always take the advice of someone who's older, too. I've met very wise young people and very foolish older people and vice versa. I've met very wise older people and I've met very foolish younger people. I think we all can say the same. It's never cookie cutter like we like to think it is. So a sermon, it ought to inform you. It ought to tan your hide. The third thing I think a sermon should do is warm your heart. I think a sermon should warm your heart. I think it should inspire you. I think it should try and set ablaze a yearning and desire for God in your soul. Because let's face it, being a Christian is not an easy task. We like to say that it is. And sometimes there's days that are easier than others to say that you're a Christian. But let's face it, there's days that it's just downright hard. There's some days where you're fed up and you're angry with God. And those are things that are very natural human emotions to be towards. But a sermon should inspire you. It should set ablaze a yearning for God. The fourth thing that it should do, and I want you to listen closely to this, the fourth thing a sermon should do is provoke the will. It should provoke the will. It should challenge you to do the will of God. Now, you don't do the will of God 
because you're trying to do works to get saved. Christ has already taken care of that. But it should provoke the will to help you do the will of God so that you can reach other people. It should provoke the will in order for you to do the will of God that you give honor and glory to him in everything that you do. It should provoke the will. Every one of us has a check made out by the bank of heaven, but so many of us fail to cash it at the window of prayer. So many of us, we want to be, we, we think to ourselves, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian, I've got this all figured out, buddy, I don't have hardly any of it figured out. But I'm learning. But the truth is this, is that as a Christian, it's provoke us to pray to God. It should provoke us to seek God, to go after him, to yearn for him, to desire him, to keep studying his word. And I encourage every one of us in this room, it's so easy to say, yes, we should pray more. But I don't mean that you should just pray one or two more times a day. I mean that you should pray constantly in your moments of time where you're, you just have your moments in between your job or moments in between your classes, moments in between where you're dealing with customers, why not say a prayer? Why not ask God for help? Why can't we take on that role of saying, you know what, God help me in this, in this time. I know that many of us yesterday, we had Smith and Wesson days here at the range. And I don't know if any of you were here. I know Walker was here. It was one of the busiest days I've ever seen at this company. And throughout the day, I was really needing God to help me get through it. There was times we had up to a two-hour wait time for the range. And the, the walker would tell you the line was going, almost going out the door for people wanting to get into the range. Well, I've only got 10 lanes, and when I've got 40 people waiting on a lane, it gets a little stressful. But that's just one example. So many times we go through life and grief strikes us. We lose a loved one. We go through heartache. Someone causes us to distrust them, to do something wrong against us. And then we have to decide for ourselves, how are we going to react to that? Are we going to react in anger? Are we going to react in prayer? Are we going to react in love? Are we going to react in forgiveness? What is our reaction? I would argue that one of the unending obligations that our Lord has given to us is that we ought to always to pray. If I can, I would love to get someone to read Ephesians 6, 18. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with the preservation and the supplication for all of the saints. Yes, pray always. Pray always. Our Lord didn't say that a man ought to always work a nine-to-five job the rest of his life, nor did he say that a man ought to always play and do sports, but he did say that a man ought to always pray. A man should always pray. Now, when we pray, we're essentially beseeching God for help, for guidance, for comfort, for help for another. Prayer is a beautiful thing. You see, you should pray when you're successful, lest you become selfish. You should pray when you're in sin. Excuse me. You should pray when you're in sorrow, lest you become cynical. You should pray when you're in prosperity, lest you become proud. And you should pray when you're in material poverty, lest you become spiritually poor. And you should, of course, pray when you are in sin for guidance to get out of such. 
You see, in sin, man declares his independence from God. In prayer, man declares his dependence on God. Now, Lockridge has an interesting thing to say on prayer. He says, prayer is perplexingly paradoxical. That is, you have to pray in order to pray. When the disciples saw how lacking they were in prayer, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then we come back to that verse in Matthew where we go through the Lord's prayer. All this was brought on on them asking the Lord, please teach us to pray. These were men that were Jews, Orthodox Jews, many of them. They probably were taught from a young age who God was, taught in the synagogues. They probably knew how to pray, but all of us struggle at times. What do I pray for? What are the things in which I should ask for? What should I do? And this is the beautiful answer that we get from Christ. To pray to the Father in heaven that his will be done, to give us our daily bread, to forgive us of our debts, that we may be forgiven of our, our debts as well, to deliver us from temptation, to keep us from the evil one, and to give glory to his power in heaven. You see, in sin, man declares his independence from God, and in prayer, he declares his dependence on God. <clears throat> I think it's interesting. If you look at all the, the Bible schools and colleges in the, in the world, I've yet to find a single school that offers a class on prayer. I've yet to find a single school that offers a class on prayer. Now, unless you're Pentecostal, that might be a required course there. I don't know. But that's just a joke. But there's courses on everything from preaching, pastoral care, hermeneutics, exegesis, but nothing on prayer. I suppose the answer to why this is is simple. There is only one teacher. There's only one teacher for prayer, and that's our Lord. That's our Lord Jesus himself. And he has asked us to pray. He told us to pray. Many times we go to him with our pains. And frankly, there's sometimes we go to him with petty problems. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord is the master of all, and it's good to go to him with anything. Whether we look at it as petty or whether we look at it as something that we desperately need or want something else, want someone else to, uh, to get healed, those are not, of course, petty problems. But there's sometimes we go to him with things that might seem silly, but they're important. There's only one teacher of prayer. Sometimes we go to him with our pains and inconveniences. I think of, uh, when I think of like a, a good church, I think of the verse from uh, Jeremiah 33.3. It says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. A church ought to always to pray a congregation. Here we are. Yes, many of us have other churches that we visit. Many of us, I know Buddy, for example, you know, he's the pastor of another church and, and a great pastor, by the way. But I think Jeremiah 33.3 is, is a great thing to remember. It says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. No one should go around saying they know it all or they've got it all figured out or that they know all the wonders of God. Because I tell you, in just a year's time, your whole world can be flipped upside down. And in a, in a year's time, maybe even a day's time, your whole world can be flipped right back around. Because that's the God that we serve. He opens doors that we don't see to be possible. 
He closes doors that we don't need to go through. He finds a way for us each and every time. I'd like to say this as well. Many think that prayer is a monologue, that it's just us speaking to God. But I think we know better. Many of us talk to the Lord just like the Lord doesn't know how to run his world. We tell him what we want him to do, when to do it, and how, we should go, how he should go about doing it. And best of all, we want, it to, want him to do it right now. We order him around like he is supposed to serve our every need, like he is our servant instead of we are being his. Can I tell you that every prayer I've prayed has been answered or will be answered? Every prayer that I've prayed, maybe not always to the extent that I want it to be. My prayers have not always been answered in the way that I thought they would or the way that I thought they should be answered. But they have been answered. And the ones that have been answered, haven't been answered yet, I know that they will be. And I think of an example from my own personal life, five, uh, so it's going to be going on six years, maybe seven now. I asked God to humble me. I was in a point in my life where I was going to parties, doing things I shouldn't be doing. I said, Lord, please humble me. Well, let me tell you, for two weeks, I wasn't very humble. But I tell you, two weeks later, I broke my leg in three places. And let me tell you, that humbled me. It kept me isolated in my room. It had me go through surgeries. It helped me to realize who was there in my life that needed to be there, that was there to help me and those that were there just to take advantage of me. It humbled me. Now, I'm not trying to get up here and say, oh, I'm the most humble man that ever existed, not by a long shot. But I'm a hop, skip, and a jump away from where I used to be, I'll tell you that. And what I used to be is not a good man. But the Lord humbled me in that way, and he humbles every one of us in different ways. See, prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Now, I'm not up here saying that God is going to talk to you like I am right now to you. But he has his ways of answering, whether it's a sign, an event, through the Holy Spirit, through his Son and his words. Can I get someone to read Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5? Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 5. I can read it, Thank you, sir. God, who in sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Perfect. Thank you. What we see here is in these last days, we see that the word is spoken to us through God's son. We see that... People always, and I've brought this up here before, and I'll never stop bringing it up. We always say, God, I want you to come down and reveal yourself to me, show yourself to me, explain yourself to me. But the thing is, he did 2,000 years ago. And what did we as human beings did? We put him on a cross for it. He showed us what we did wrong. He showed us how we could be made right. 
and we killed him for it. Now, through that, through his death and resurrection, we have our salvation through faith, placing faith in him. And it was all, the nail was put in the casket, if you will, with him raising from the dead. We know when we can trust in his glory, his majesty, based off of that. But we know that he is the Lord. We know that he can speak to us through his son and through his words. We are given a lot of guidance through this book. A lot of ways and how we should, a lot of things in which how we should live are answered through this book. We just have to look for them. We have to study. We have to dive deep into this. Study and show yourself approved to divide, to rightly divide. I think of Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. No matter where I am, no matter where we are in life, we should always at any point be able to praise the Lord with our whole heart. Because even in the midst of our heartache and hardship, God is still ever, everly present. He is still everly helping us. He is always there. He is a present help in our time of need and struggle. I can't think of a single time in my life where I felt abandoned by God through the loss of a loved one, through heartache, through job loss. I can't think of a single time where I, I could have been hurt. I can't think of a single time when, in my life where I've been hurt and God wasn't, wasn't just a step away. Now, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to admit that. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that, to say, yes, Lord, I know that you're there. Sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't want them to be there. We're mad. We're angry. We're upset. But that's the wrong way of thinking. I think of Johnny Cash in one of his songs he wrote about the apocalypse. It's very interesting. He, he said, every one of us wants the kingdom, but many of us don't want God in it. And there's a lot of truth in that simple line. But the truth is there is no kingdom without God in it. We think of this world, and this world has a lot of crazy things going on. Chaos every day, struggle in the street, struggle in the world. There's a lot of good things that go on, but I want you to know this world would be absolute chaos if God completely removed himself from this place. And it's, unfor it's an unfortunate thing to say, but I think if God's love and grace was not in this world, we would see people like Hitler rise up every day. We don't know how good we have it. Now, of course, I'm not saying this world is heaven. Don't get me wrong. This place is far from it, and we're still in need of a Savior. But I'm saying if this world didn't have God, it wouldn't be much of a world at all. There's still good men and women in this world that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. There's still good people. There's still God's grace. And even through the chaos of this world, there is still a saving grace that is Jesus Christ. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope for those that are dying and hope for those that are living. Because in the end, if you think about it, with Christ, are you really dying or are you just changing locations? And what a location it will be when we're with him. So many times we get caught up in the present, the present mind of saying, you know, Lord, this present world is all I can think about. This is all I care about. But that's not it. We should be working to store up treasure in heaven rather on earth. 
And that's something I struggle with too. I work at a place with guns. You think I don't want to take every one of them home with me? Of course I do. But those at the end of the day, I'm not saying anything against guns, but in the end of the day, those are still worldly things. They're just possessions. At the end of the day, the thing that is eternal is saving grace. At the end of the day, the thing that is eternal is Christ Jesus. So we need to have faith in something that is eternal, not something that is temporal. Even the most beautiful castle will one day crumble. Even the most well-made firearm is one day going to rust and fall apart. Even the most uh, physically impressive human being, whether they're just weightlifting, whether they're just in shape, their body will eventually deteriorate. Every one of us, our time is running out. What's the second law of thermodynamics? Everything runs down, all right, including the world in which we live. There will come a day where everything ends, but in Christ, we have hope. Now, worship is due God. Can I get someone to read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1? Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You can go a little further. Okay. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe to me, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Thank you. And what we see here, what's the first thing that they cry out? Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord of hosts. He is worthy of honor, he is worthy of praise. And if we're being really honest for why we are supposed to be here this morning is to give him glory. No matter what church you go into, that should be the end goal is to give him glory. He's the only one worthy of it. And some people will get bothered by that and say, well, God, that seems kind of egotistical of you to receive glory. But no. And here's why. Human beings are designed to worship. Literally designed to worship. If it's not God, we're going to find something to worship. Every single one of us, atheistic, agnostic, or theistic, always has a God. The question is whether or not it's the God of the Bible. Every single one of us. When I used to be an atheist, I still had a God. All right? And what I mean by that is it was material things. It was my video games. It was my girlfriends. It was those were things that I, in a sense, worshipped, if you will. It was what was first in my mind. In fact, one of the older definitions of God... In uh, one of the old Webster's dictionaries, I forget which, uh, which edition, it defined God as whatever mankind or human deems supreme. So what is supreme in your life? If it is not God, it is something or someone. Every one of us serves a God or worships a God. The thing is this, God is good and gracious, and he says, okay, I know that human beings, I've made them in my image. They are designed to worship. The only thing that is worthy of worship that will keep them on the right path and away from sin is to worship me. 
So in the end, it is a blessing that he is able to say, yes, you need to worship me and give me glory because it's the only thing that keeps you on the right path, that keeps you from sin, to falling by the wayside. But the goal of any church, of any preacher, of anyone, whether from the preacher to the person who cleans the toilets, should be always to give glory to God. And by the way, you're not better than the person that serves in the lowest position of your church. Not at all. Everyone serves a purpose. And in our minds, we have kind of this class system, even in life. Whether we like to admit it or not, we think to ourselves, okay, well, at least I'm not doing that job, or at least I'm not doing that, or at least I got a job where I'm speaking. And don't get me wrong, I love to be able to preach. But I've got, I've, when I, my first job was working at the Tate House cleaning toilets, okay? But you know what? I still worked in the mansion. You know what? And I served a great purpose there. I kept things clean and orderly. And if the bathrooms don't look good, well, people are going to complain. Now, that's a strange analogy, but I hope it makes some sense. Everyone serves a function. And not everyone's job is to be a preacher, just like not everyone's job is to be a janitor. And I don't, I don't mean to hark on the janitor thing. I don't know. That's just come to my mind. But the thing is this, though, is that he deserves our praises. But... We ought to put our praises, and this is just my opinion. I think we ought to put our praises before we put our petition. I think we ought to put our praises before we put our petition. And sometimes I fail at that. I fail at that more often than I do succeed. But I think it's the right thing to do. To say, Lord, you are still, you are great, you're awesome, you're fantastic, but I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. Please help me with this. I know that your glory and your honor, and you're, you're honorable and, you know, glorifying. God, just please help me with this. But giving him glory and honor through the midst of it. And thank him for what you've got. Oftentimes we pray for what we don't have, but we don't thank him for what we already have. There's so many times, and Jill can attest, I am a very stressed out individual. I am very anxiety driven. Although I know the scriptures on anxiety, I know that I shouldn't be so obsessed with being stressed and being fearful. I know that the Lord is, he gives us strength. And I struggle with that. Sometimes I struggle with letting him be in control of my life. Because I think I've got it figured out. But in the end, I don't. The thing is, though, is I am sometimes very bad at thanking him for what I have. I'm so obsessed with what I need or what I desire that I forget to thank him for what I have. I have a roof over my head. I have a wife that loves me and is faithful. I have a church family that is great. I have coworkers that are fantastic and have grown to be like family to me. I have a lot of great blessings in my life. Yes, there are some things that need to be better, but those things will happen in time and nothing's ever going to be perfect. We struggle with sin. I know so many people that struggle with sin and myself included, but with Christ, we can overcome that. So many times we count our bruises, we count our debt, and we count our sorrow. But I encourage you today, try this. Try counting your blessings just for once. And I can almost 100% guarantee you that you will come out with more blessings than you have debt, sorrow, or pain. I know a woman that she's been battling breast and bone cancer for going on eight years.
And one time I was sitting down with her doing a visit at her house, and, and she told me, she's like, Matthew, I feel like like a female Job. She's like, I feel like God's just put me through the ringer. I feel like I've gone through so much, and people wonder. And she, she even said, she's like, I've had friends that have asked me, like, why do you think God's doing this to you? And she said, but that's not the right response. She's like, I've got a family that has been by my side every step of the way. I've got friends that have checked up on me that I haven't seen in years. I've got people, and God still provided a way for me to keep my house. She's like, I'm blessed. She's like, yes. She's like, I'm eventually going to die from this disease. That's a sobering thing to say. She's like, it will eventually take me, but the Lord's already got me. And let me tell you, as a young man, to hear a woman, you know, a woman say that who's going through so much, how inspiring is that? To take on that role, to say, you know what? Yes. And you know, if you think about it, in a lot of ways, each one of us has a death date. We just don't know when that day is. It could be today, and I'm not trying to put, inspire fear, but the truth is we know that. We know intuitively that, yes, I could die any day. This woman just knew that what would be the cause most likely. <clears throat> but we ought to count our blessings. Because I know I have a whole lot more to be thankful for than I do to be sorrowful over. It's time to thank God. Thank God in remembering what you've lost, and thank God for what you have left. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We ought to be thankful. We ought to show our praises before we ask for our petition. <laughs> Instead of numbering your enemies, why don't you thank God that you have some friends? I'm thankful I have a friend like no other in this world, Jesus. I'm thankful to have a friend like that. To be able to say that your friend with the creator of the universe is a strange and humbling thing. And it puts life in a strange perspective, but a good one. The truth is, is I was so used to whining and, and Jill will tell you I still whine and complain I used to whine and complain about how God had mistreated me and let me down and, and hurt me but it was not until I started to thank God for what I had that all of my inconveniences and letdowns didn't seem so much because I realized I had more than I could ever have asked for see not to be not to be too cringy, but uh, we ought to move off of uh, Complaint Avenue and move on to Thanksgiving Boulevard, don't you think? See, public worship is a privilege, and it's a duty of redeemed souls in Christ. We're united in faith, fellowship, and the uh, fur furtherance of the gospel. You may feel weak and tired, but the Lord gave you enough strength to make it into make it into here this morning. Imagine what he could do if we gave him every single day like we give him Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever you go to church. Imagine if we gave him every day like that. And this is me holding up a mirror to the congregation as well as myself. I need to give him every day because I think this world would be turned around in a couple of minutes if we all just gave him our time every day. But 
it's a blessing to be able to meet. You know, I think we ought to take in the, the mindset of, you know, we should let the whole congregation of all who love and serve God join together at the mercy seat. Because at the mercy seat is where they may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Prayer is a great privilege. And I think so often we leave it by the wayside. See, most of us, and hear me out when I say this, most of us would jump at the chance to speak to a king or a queen or a president, maybe not this president, I don't know, some of you may not want to speak. But even just the opportunity, sometimes we're very honored to be able to speak to someone of such distinguished position. Many of us would jump at the chance. And if that's not your thing, maybe you would jump at the chance to meet your favorite actor or actress or musician or band. Many of us would love that opportunity, and so would I. But it's sad to say it. But so often, we don't jump at the chance to speak to the king of the universe, to speak to the king and lord of design and of all creation, who literally has an open line for us to meet, to talk to him at all times. And, and many of y'all, if you were, uh, if you've, I did a lesson a few months ago now on the tabernacle. But if you've, if you ever studied the tabernacle, it's very interesting. I have the verse pulled up here. I want to read it to you in a moment. But in the tabernacle, when the high priest would go in at Yom Kippur, when he would walk in, of course, you know, he'd walk in, and of course, he, he's blindfolded, and he delivers, uh, you know, sacrifice and the, pours the blood on the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. But one of the interesting things that we see here is that what is burning in the other room past the veil? Because there is this big veil. There's incense. Do we know what? Do you remember what incense represents in the scriptures? The prayers, the, the prayers of the saints. What would have been probably the only thing to permeate that veil when the priest, the high priest, went through the veil? What would have been the only thing to probably be a reminder of where he is to permeate through? will be the smell of the incense. will be the smell of the incense. And I think of Psalm 141, 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Revelation 8, 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So even in a time when there was still a separation between God and man, the one thing that permeates that separation is prayer. And now, since the veil is torn, the veil representing his body, Christ's body, since the veil is torn, now there is no separation. We have a mediator between God and man, and that being the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it's very interesting that even throughout time, the one thing that seems to make it past even the separation is prayer. And I think that's a beautiful thing. See, Everything I have, God has given me. Prayer is a privilege and a great weapon in the hour of conflict. It's a defense in a moment of great peril. It's a break in the midst, in the midst of exhaustion. You see, no barrier can keep him down. No enemy, foreign, domestic, or otherwise supernatural can stop him. God is our light and our redeemer. He shines through the darkness of man's heart and changes him from the inside out. And that's the king in which I worship. 
He may take you in while you are weak, but he will build you up till you are strong. Blessed is his name. Even if tomorrow, say the gates of hell themselves opened up before us, we serve a God who has overcome death, hell, and the grave. So what do we really have to be worried for? We serve the one who has overcome every bit of it. It's high time we turn from our wicked ways and turn back to the only hope that we have, a hope that is unlike any other. I don't have many more verses, but can I get someone to read Romans fifteen thirteen? Romans fifteen thirteen. Yes, if you're struggling with sin today, trust in Him. If you're struggling with heartache and sorrow today, trust in Him. He's the only one that can help you. He's the only one that can set you free. I'll finish with this. There was once a little girl who was asked to recite the 23rd Psalm. Many of you have maybe heard this story, and I think it's a beautiful one. But she slipped up. You know, the verse, it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's how it actually reads. But the little girl, she messed up. And she said, the Lord is my shepherd, and he is all that I want. And many in the congregation said, she's wrong, have her repeat it. But the preacher said, no, she's right. She's right. She maybe didn't get the verse recited correctly. But the Lord is my shepherd, and he's all that I want. Should that not be what we think and say every day of our lives? When we think about going into temptation, should we not think the Lord is my shepherd and he's all that I want? When we think about our enemies and the hardships that that might bring, should we not think the Lord is my shepherd and he's all that I want? She messed up. But I tell you, I think she's absolutely right. The Lord is my shepherd and he's all that I want. I shall not want for refreshment because my cup runneth over. I shall not want for rest, for he restoreth my soul. I shall not want for anything in this life, because he leads me to the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the best part of this is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't say that we're going to chant or, or tent or camp or tabernacle in the house of the Lord forever. It says we will dwell. That is our home We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a place where we'll never grow old and we'll never die. I shall dwell where the feeling of death is squashed out by eternity. I shall dwell where all believers find peace. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in a place where I never have to see my mother age. I will dwell in a place where my loved ones will be there with me and I don't have to watch them pass on. I'll dwell in a place where I can be with believers that had similar struggles in life, but we had the same Redeemer. And none of us, when we stand before God, can go, Lord, I am here on behalf of myself. I can't do that. You can't do that. When we stand before Him, the only thing that should be on our lips is, Lord, blessed be your name. It will not be, Lord, I've done all these mighty things in your name. 
It will not be, Lord, have you seen my life? You've probably heard of me. No. On that day, the only one that will open the gate for you, if you will, will be the Lord himself. Because he's the only way. Matt Bearden can't save you. No pastor can save you. Trustees, deacons, missionaries, they can't save you. Now, they can help you. I don't, mean that, I don't mean to say that they can't be beneficial. I don't mean it like that. But they're not the ones that have the saving power of grace. I can't help you in that department. But guess what? I serve the one who can. That's the whole job of the preacher and the whole job of the church is to say, hey, yeah, okay, I'm not the one that can save you, but I serve the one who can save you and can help you. Now, God's given me a passion. He's given me a desire, but also we are to be stewards of the earth. We're supposed to be stewards of mankind to help other people, to help them in ways that we can, to show kindness, forgiveness. Pray to God. Seek forgiveness. And as it's always been said in church, today is the day of salvation. We should repent of our sin. We should leave it behind. We're going to struggle with sins. And one thing is I've, I've learned is that once you overcome one sin, another one takes its place eventually. Or another form of it, if you will. You're constantly having to turn back. Forsake the ways of the unrighteous and the wicked man his thoughts. And that man, he shall have mercy. And I go back to that model prayer. And I finish with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's been a privilege to get to preach before you today. That's all I've got. Um, we'll close out in prayer here. Um, all right, buddy, would you care to pray us out, sir? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'll go with us as we leave this morning. We thank you so much for Matt and for the words that you've spoken through him. We pray, God, we will take those things to heart, that you will help us to remember them throughout the rest of the week, God. Your Holy Spirit, just bring me back to things that have been said. And we pray, God, that we will just draw closely to you and to one another all the more as we see the day of your return approaching. We praise you, Lord, for saving us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.